Welcome to Hire the Smile, the podcast on all things related to human resources in veterinary medicine. Join me, Katie Ardeline, and my colleague, Mike Pownell, as we discuss how to support and take care of the people who are instrumental in making your business a success. Great businesses share one common feature. They focus on taking care of their employees. They create businesses where everyone feels empowered and motivated to be the best they can be. These businesses want highly engaged employees and they do whatever it takes to make this happen because they know that highly engaged employees lead to more growth, client loyalty, and profitability. Veterinary medicine is a challenging profession, but it can be made so much easier if we build business cultures that attract and retain the best people. Subscribe to Hire the Smile for great discussions on taking care of the people that make us all better. Hi, and welcome to Oculus Insights, Hire the Smile, episode 19. I'm Mike Powell, and as usual, I am joined by the esteemed Katie Arline. Mm. Katie, good morning. Esteemed, love it. Good morning. How are you? Just dandy. How are you? Good. Somebody made a comment to me that they're listening to the podcast, and they, they said, you refer to Katie as your sidekick. I'm like, oh. well, the reality is <laughs> I'm I'm Robin to her back, man, so... <laughs> I don't even notice. So yeah. So, so, but now you're esteemed. <laughs> I appreciate it. it. Makes me feel fancy. Well, there you go. What a way to end the week. How are mm. things? Not oh, just fine. Looking forward to some warmer temperatures here for sure. No kidding. Yeah. The snow is almost gone and it's supposed to be lovely all weekend. So there'll be some walking happening this weekend. Love it. Yeah. What are we talking about this week, Katie? Well, we thought we'd talk about feedback but in a bit of a different way than usual. I mean, a lot of the time when we are talking to practice owners or each other about feedback, it's about how to give feedback effectively. Uh, But we thought we'd turn the tables a bit this week and talk about how to think about receiving feedback. And, you know, I'm thinking about a lot of the work that we do with clients and in particular, uh, when we have to give feedback to practice owners, often or really anybody, I suppose, in our practice, uh, we're afraid of how they're going to take it. And people don't necessarily take feedback all that well. And, you know, they sort of get bogged down in, in various factors here that we'll talk about in a little while, instead of actually hearing the feedback and thinking, okay, what's true in here? And feedback is is information. And uh, I think that it's really important for us to learn how to use feedback to our advantage instead of just seeing it as an attack. So are we talking about a just like constructive, maybe construed as negative feedback, or are we talking just feedback in general? Because I know as a Canadian, we don't like being praised. It's something genetic about us, mm-hmm. definitely cultural. So are we, I mean, what kind of feedback are we talking about specifically? Uh, this week, we're talking more specifically about constructive feedback. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Let's go. So I know you've been reading a book Mm. on feedback and it's next on my list because some of the stuff that you've been sharing with me. So why don't you tell everybody about it? For sure. So the book is called Thanks for the Feedback, uh, subtitled The Science and Art of Receiving Feedback Well. And it's authored by Douglas Stone and Sheila Heen. And they are the authors of another really excellent book called Crucial Conversations tools Mm. for talking when stakes are high. So these guys know what they're talking about as far as, um, you know, how to talk about sticky situations and tough subjects. And the book's been out, I think since 2015. I'm not sure why I haven't, you know, hasn't come across my eyeballs yet, but it did a couple of weeks ago. And uh, I really am enjoying it. And I have to admit that, 
you know, when I was making notes for this podcast, I was like, Oh, how long do we have? Do we have five hours? Mm. So it was, there's so much really good information in this book. It was hard for me to sort of winnow down uh, enough to talk about in 10 or 20 minutes. So, right, right. Uh, you know, this could be, I, we could probably do a years long podcast on this, but uh, we don't need people falling asleep. So, yeah. So I thought what I would do is, and like I said, it's, it's quite a long book. I can't talk about every single thing. But I thought we'd talk a little bit about feedback triggers, which is uh, what they describe as the thing that sort of holds us back from really getting to the bottom of what the feedback that somebody is giving us is actually trying to tell us. So what uh, Douglas and Sheila talk about are three feedback triggers that really govern how we react to feedback. Um, The first one is truth triggers. So we hear some feedback and we think, oh, this is really off. It doesn't sound right at all. It's unhelpful. It's not something that I'm identifying with, Uh, you know, and we really, what they say is, okay, well, we might sound something and it just sounds totally wrong, but we need to really figure out what the feedback means. And uh, we need to get a little bit more specific about it. So For example, um, feedback that was given to me a number of years back, actually, when I worked in one of your offices as the office manager, you know, I got some feedback that people thought I was standoffish in the office and that I was, you know, sitting at my desk and I wasn't seeming open and I didn't want people to come up and talk to me. And at the time I was like, oh my gosh, that is absolutely not what I'm trying to do. So, you know, the initial reaction is, well, where's this coming from? Like, This doesn't seem like something that's jiving with what I'm experiencing. So uh, what they suggest is really you need to sit back and like really clarify the feedback. So we really need to understand, you know, the the golden rule is first understand the feedback. Mm -hmm. So, you know, what what's the backstory on the feedback? You know, well, it's one thing to say you're always very standoffish in the office. And it's like, well, that's like an absolute statement. And they call actually call them labels. So it's like the really generic, you know, you always, you never, you're so, he's too, uh, you know, you never listen to me. You're always so messy. You're so disorganized. This is really generic feedback and it's really too vague or it's too absolute. It's like, okay, well, you've made a, a statement about me that may or may not be true, but I don't really have enough information to evaluate it. So they talk about how Often when we have this truth type trigger where we're like, well, this doesn't sound like me at all. It could be information that's coming to us in our blind spots. So, you know, it's something that's totally, you know, we don't see it at all because we live in our brains every day, but it's extremely obvious to everybody else. So we're not really even aware that we're doing it. What they suggest, and I mean, the book is about how to receive feedback, but there's really great gems there and how to give feedback as well. So in this situation, they describe an idea of perhaps saying, as the giver of the feedback, you say, it seems like you always do this. Let me describe what I mean and see if it makes sense. And then as the receiver of the feedback, you should ask questions to clarify. So instead of saying, well, that's totally wrong. That doesn't sound like me. It's like, well, tell me more. Let me try and understand where you're coming from a little bit more. And we often feel like we're hearing the wrong thing or we're just feeling like it's so far off base of uh, where we're coming from that we we just don't understand. And I think for sure in the veterinary profession, as as veterinarians, we're very skilled. Uh, We have a very, I think, a very firm sense of who and what we are. I think more, some more than others, uh, you know, I think it really runs the gamut. I'm sure it's like this in every profession to the 
overtly confident, let's <laughs> say, uh, to the one where, I mean, it's you, you, when you're going to give feedback, you're like, oh my, this is like, this could be shattered glass so quickly. And mm-hmm. how do we do it? But I think both examples are just, I think this is why this book is so important, of, is how to receive it. Because we've seen both, all, all extremes of the rainbow on that one. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think this idea of blind spots and the book really goes into a lot of detail about sort of what to do about blind spots and how to um, manage your blind spots, you know, from asking a trusted friend or a trusted colleague, like I, I keep getting this feedback and I just don't see it. Can you let me know when I'm doing it? Or can you let me know from your perspective, if you see me doing this? And that's like a cornerstone of self-awareness. And when we talk to a lot of uh, managers and practice owners who are sort of, they get very uh, defensive about how they're acting. And we try and sort of soften them a little bit by saying, well, maybe you could ask, you know, if you're feeling self-aware and you're feeling vulnerable enough, you could ask for feedback. You know, I, I got this feedback. I didn't realize I was doing it. Can you guys just let me know when it's happening so that I can identify it? And I think that's a really a powerful thing because it helps your staff sort of understand that, okay, well, you are taking the feedback seriously. You're not just discounting it. And that's what I did in my case with the feedback about um, being a stone-faced person in the office was, hey, guys, it's totally not what I mean to convey. Tell me when it's happening. But I think the thing that we sometimes get hung up on is it's, it can be a lazy way out to some extent because, you know, you say, well, I don't realize I'm doing it. So you guys have to tell me when it's happening. But the subtext there is that you also have to work on changing your mindset or changing why it is that you're acting that way. So, you know, I think often, you know, we can think of people who they, we keep, keep giving the feedback and they're awesome. They're like, okay, I'm going to be vulnerable. I'm going to ask people to tell me when it's happening, but then no change happens. And uh, the book talks about, and I thought this was really interesting, how the staff can really sniff out whether you're trying to change your behavior toward them. So I need to seem less standoffish versus I want to be less standoffish. So it's it's changing your behavior versus changing your mindset and changing how you really feel about the subject. Because people can sniff it out. Yep. If you're being insincere and you're sort of just window dressing, but you haven't changed your your deep down how you, you know, think about your staff or how you think about you should be accessible or not, then uh, it's really disingenuous and it almost is worse. You know, so you think you've been working really hard, but your staff are like, mm, not so much. We can tell that this isn't this isn't really sincere. So I think that, that that was a really interesting thing that sort of clicked into place for me was that difference between the surface change and the actual interior change, I guess, for lack of a better word. And I know, yeah, as you said, we've seen this and uh, we've all we've discussed it and we've been puzzled by it in terms of where's the gap between really wanting to do the heavy lifting to mm. make that substantial change. It's hard work. I mean, I don't, I don't think we should kid around. It is hard mm-hmm. work. It's phenomenally worthwhile. But I think sometimes with um, some of us, I know, and I'll, and I'll talk later about, you know, being a leader of an organization and taking feedback. Sometimes you got to confront things about yourself. You just don't want to confront. Yeah. And you're just sort of like, ah, spoiler alert. You go there, then you realize that, oh, this, whatever I have around me is, is really interfering with my success. And so, you know, uh, when you do confront it, deal with it, 
it's so much easier for yourself. Yeah, it's easier for your coworkers because you're a better teammate or whatever, better leader. But the dividend to oneself is even bigger mm-hmm. because there's something that's either making you act like a jerk or, you know, you know whether it's standoffish or, you know, uh, temperamental or tone or whatever the case may be. Uh, it's coming from somewhere. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. When you kind of take away or you work on clearing that veil or like a curtain that's sort of in front of a filter sort of in front of what you think and how you're showing up, then it just makes life much easier as well. But like you said, there's some heavy lifting that needs to happen in order for that to really take root. For sure. You have to believe that that's exactly what you want. So that that sort of truth triggers, blind spots, labels, I, I think that was a really interesting way to start out. The second trigger they talk about are relationship triggers. So sometimes we get feedback from somebody and uh, we say, and maybe this is something you'll talk about in in the uh, article you're talking about, but let's say we're a leader, we're the practice owner, and we get feedback from somebody, a, a receptionist or a customer service rep or somebody who we might perceive as being, you know, very, very low on the totem pole. And we're like, well, who are you to give me that feedback? You know, they might say they might have you know, bucked up their courage for a month to give you feedback. And then you discount it. Cause you're like, well, who mm. are you to tell me this feedback? Yep. And they call that a switchback. So they call that switching from focusing on the actual meat of the, or vegan meat of the feedback to um, focusing on the person. So you're sort of deflecting the feedback. So we drop the actual data and we drop the kernels of wisdom that are in that data. And I think I know it's, it's interesting. And I hadn't really thought about it that way. Uh, You know, I, and I, I have to say that I'm lucky coming up in your organization where you've sort of almost right from the beginning, we're like, I want to hear feedback from everybody. And you were pretty much always willing to listen to it. Uh, You know, I sort of forget that there's still so much hierarchy out there. And when we work with different clients, I think we're lucky. We work with some really wonderful clients and, and they're working on sort of flattening the hierarchy but you still see it elsewhere. I mean, I've seen it in other industries as well, where it's like, well, who are you to tell a CEO that they're, you know, a terrible team player? And it really, it's, it does you a disservice because everybody should be, you know, eligible to give everybody else feedback, you know, as long as it's respectful and you, know, you can have a conversation about it. But I thought it was really interesting. And they talked to about um, how you might say, uh, let's say in my example, you get some feedback from an animal care attendant that you're maybe not acting uh, in a really supportive way and that you're being really short with people. So you don't understand. Uh, You might think to yourself, well, this person doesn't understand the pressure I'm under. Uh, You know, you don't know all the stress that I have. So the issue sort of switches from about you to about them and them not understanding your position. And these are really two different topics. Like if you have an ax to grind about your workload or about those things, I mean, what's the animal care attendant going to do about that? Well, yeah, um, it's, it's, it's putting yourself in the other person's shoe because, you know, totes, if, yeah. if you're a veterinarian or the practice owner, it's really a lack of empathy of mm. what, what else somebody else is going through. So to me, I always think of it as a privilege that somebody is actually wanting to share helpful, meaningful information with me that's going to make me a better coworker, a better person, better veterinarian, better leader. Yeah, I can understand why it's hard, but mm. you know, if you, I, to me, what I thought was just reframing it is if, hey, the, if my motive is to be the best that I can be, 
at whatever I'm doing, any kind of great feedback is going to help me. So it's not even growing a thick skin. It's more of a, an adaptive mind that you can take it and just say, this is, this is good. Mm-hmm. And, and I think when we are giving feedback and we're part of employee reviews, whether with our own practices or our client practices, I mean, everybody has a theme. You know, and I, th- you know, we've been doing a lot of reviews lately, so this is very fresh in my mind. It's almost like the top of the review should be the theme this week is, yep, or this year or whatever. And because we are who we are as people, and you know, for us to meaningfully change, it's hard. I think we can. My experience, as you know, is, and I've talked about it before, is that I just have a, like the most cutting, horrible tone. And it's there. It's always lurking. It's sort of like, you know, that whole thing of the devil on one shoulder and an angel mm-hmm. on the other sort of prodding you to which way you go. And, you know, it's so easy to just sort of go to the easy side, which is just like, screw it. Put the tone out. I'm going to be free. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> the beast. Damn the, I'm gonna, yeah, exactly. Beast mode. Damn the ramifications. But, you know, I think the skill is where, the, you know, that guiding angel on the other shoulder is like, you know, it's not good when you do this. And, Yep. You're going to hurt a lot of people. You're going to hurt yourself and you're going to put yourself a step back. And I think it's not thick skin. It's, it's that adaptive mind. That's that understanding mind that, hey, it's you. It is who you are for whatever reason, but you're a better person and you can deal with it. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think that's an excellent segue into the third feedback trigger, which is the identity trigger. So, um, you know, the feedback, what they talk about here is the feedback is challenging or threatening and it makes us off balance. So it kind of throws us for a loop. You know, we all have tell ourselves stories about who we are and what our motives are and, you know, whether we're good or we're bad at a certain thing. Uh, You know, we talk about, okay, well, I know what my future is going to be. And we get really stuck in that story. Plus, they talk about how we're all biologically wired through genes, through upbringing, through life experiences to respond to stressful information in different ways. For example, you could spiral really, and I, you know, I know people like this in my own life who you might say something innocuous to them like, ooh, super big meeting tomorrow, so make sure you bring your A game. And then they're like, well, do you think I'm not good enough? Or do you think I'm not going to be prepared? Like, is there something you should have told me before? So like your mind just goes into overdrive of mm-hmm. what is what is he actually saying? And maybe he's just saying, hey, bring your A game. It's a big day, big day tomorrow. And there's no judgment behind it. But you're in the back of your mind, you know, going through all the filters of what's happened to you in the past. You're like, you almost, it's horribleize it. So you make it like into, you know, it's, it's a 1% thing and you make it into like a hundred percent thing when it's yeah, just a comment. Cause the reality is it's really easy for us to fall upon cliches when we're trying to rally the troops. Mm. And so many of these comments are innocuous. Totally. You know, so I think that's just the default on most of us. For sure. What they talk about is uh, we need to kind of understand a little bit more about what our triggers are when it comes to getting feedback and kind of try and nip that in the bud when it happens. And then the other thing that they talk about is actually a shout out to another really wonderful book, uh, which we should talk about, called Mindset by Carol Dweck. Mm -hmm. Uh, And they talk about how, and you touched on it just a little bit in the second trigger we were talking about, how certain folks are really set and they're like, okay, well, I only have this level of intellectual capability and I I shouldn't try any harder because I'm going to be limited for the rest of my life. And this is what I'm going to be, or this is, this is the best that I can do. 
But what Carol Dweck found uh, doing extensive studies, I think it was through Stanford, uh, is that, you know, people have the almost an infinite capacity to get better at anything they want to, as long as they try hard enough. But she talks about how for some people, the world is a test. So everything that we do, you know, this podcast, we could hang up on this podcast and I'm like, well, that really sucked. And that means I suck at podcasts. Whereas a growth mindset would say, well, this wasn't my best effort, but the next time, you know, I'm going to do a little research and make sure I'm better prepared and it's going to be awesome next time. So it talks about the difference between putting yourself in a box and saying, this is who I am and this is my capacity and thinking, okay, well, maybe this feedback can help me grow and I'm hungry for this feedback and I really want to take it to heart and see what I can get from this. And it's funny, after reading Carol Dweck's book, I actually have a sticky note on my wall that says, growth mindset, what can I learn? So, you know, from every experience and every piece of feedback you get, you might as well think, well, what can I get from this? Like, what can I actually learn? Even if I don't agree with it, this is coming from somewhere. So let me understand and see if I can get any better. I have a question on that. So I'm just thinking of the past year, um, you know, pandemic year. So we have learned that people have the capacity to adapt a lot. But, you know, when is it too much? So I'm just thinking of, okay, I am getting some feedback uh, or somebody that you're working with is getting some feedback and it's going to require a certain amount of attention from them to receive it, process it, make mm-hmm. a plan to resolve it. But in the back of their mind, they're like, okay, my spouse isn't working. Totally. I'm dealing with homeschooling. I mean, there's so, I mean, there's an infinite list almost of the past year. As somebody who's receiving feedback, when your, your cup is full, mm-hmm. how do you then convey to the people that you work with that I want to, I really do. I have nothing left in me and I'm just trying to get through every single day and function because mm-hmm. I've heard this conversation from several people over the last year from different places. And I think this is real. Yeah. And I think it comes part of it. And this is my, you know, non-psychologist opinion, obviously, but I think part of it is just being honest and saying, I hear you guys and I am taking this to heart. And I know that some hard work needs to happen here but I'm over capacity or, you know, I, I'm dealing with all these things and I can't do the deep work on this right now, but I hear you and I appreciate that you've given me the feedback. And obviously, you know, if somebody was telling you, you were being like an, a raging a-hole and you're like, well, I'm not going to be a raging a-hole until my kid finishes homeschooling. Like that's not really the answer, but you know, just at least having the awareness to say, well, okay, well maybe in the meantime, I can work on that surface change, at least like, checking myself before I blow up or whatever the case may be. Uh, and just being honest and, and communicating. I mean, it goes back to, I mean, we could have called this podcast, the communication podcast because sure. so much of yeah, what we absolutely. talk about goes back to transparent communication, but it's saying, I hear you. Uh, I can't do it right now. This is what I can do. And just give me feedback if, it, if it's getting worse or, or come back to me. I don't know. what. How does that sound to you? No, I think that's right. Cause I, I've had a, a, a couple of situations like that. And I think that was the response. And it was like, all right, at least I know as the person giving the feedback where you are, I know to back off. But at the Mm -hmm. same time, there was some behavior that was really upsetting to others that at least the person said, okay, I I can work on that. Um, But don't expect me to, I I don't have the capacity to do the deep, heavy lifting right now. But Mm -hmm. I will, I will modify behavior. Yeah. And that was good. That was fine. Like I was like, Great candid discussion. 
I know where you well, are. Well, and I mean, it, it's yeah. a journey, right? Like it's yeah. a self-awareness journey. It's an emotional intelligence journey. Mm-hmm. Nobody is perfect all the time. But if you can at least have the words to say, I'm not going to be at my best and I just need a little bit of um, space for that right now. I think that yeah. goes really far. Yeah, I think it's so much. Sure. We are just doing one of the reviews and, you know, we were just talking about somebody just saying, you know, I'm having a bad day and you're working with people. And sometimes, you know, you, you could be having a, you know, late night, bad day, whatever's going on in your personal life. You come to work, you're very quiet and everybody's like, ooh, what did mm. I do? Dr. So-and-so is really mm-hmm. on edge or, you know, this technician is really... And I just think coming into work and just saying, you know what, I had a bad night. I wasn't. I had three hours yeah. sleep, or I've got some family issues. It's not you. It's me, literally. And uh, I mm-hmm. think that helps. So, mm-hmm. absolutely. So yeah, I mean, uh, that's sort of all I have from the book. I mean, that's like maybe five percent of it. Uh, so it's a really wonderful book, and I recommend everybody read it. Um, yeah. I'm definitely learning lots. It's it's really great. Well, thanks. Well, I'm just we're just gonna take a short break. And when we come back, I'm going to talk about, I thought I'm going to approach this from the perspective of a leader of a practice and uh, a really fascinating article I found that I thought was a really good step-by-step guideline for those of us in leaders, leadership or management positions on how to take feedback. So we'll be right back. Veterinary practice would be so much easier if all we had to do was treat our patients. Instead, we also have to deal with the realities of running a business, keeping and retaining staff, attracting new clients, and maintaining profitability, to name just a few. Veterinarians also struggle with managing the always-on mentality clients expect of them, while trying to maintain a livable work-life balance while also managing student debt. When you add in the uncertainty and volatility of the world outside our vet practices, the business aspect of veterinary medicine can take away the pleasure of being a veterinarian, practice owner, or manager. Fortunately, we have a solution. Advice by Oculus provides online personal performance coaching and business advisor sessions that are convenient, accessible, and confidential for the veterinary profession. Personal performance coaching can help anyone develop confidence, motivation, and engagement. Your coach helps you identify what is holding you back and how to overcome these obstacles so you can reach your full potential. If you are struggling with your career and the negative impact on your personal life, personal performance coaching is for you. We all know it can be very lonely leading and managing a business. Often we find ourselves having to make decisions that can have a significant impact on finances, staff, and the overall health of the business without the confidence that we have considered all options before making our decisions. Having a personal business advisor with the experience and education for veterinary business management can help you clear a path to business success. We have been in your shoes and know what it takes to move forward. Advice by Oculus. Consider it like telemedicine for your business or career. As a leader for practice, uh, and I've talked about it before, I think, Katie, you were there for more the tail end of it. But, you know, as the practice was starting, I think uh, my ambitions were far bigger than my ability, my knowledge, my skills. And, you know, you sort of get in this treadmill of we're going to grow, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. And when things don't work out really well as a leader, you sort of, your behavior doesn't get to be the best. Uh, And it really, I think it was, I always harken back to, with Oculus, we had the Dr. Bob Magnus, one of our colleagues there, put on together the Equine Business Management Strategies course back in the, uh, started that in 2006, uh, and which has since changed to the Oculus Summits. But we had one speaker, 
uh, Dr. Catherine Jeffers, and she's a professor at the University of Wisconsin uh, School of Business. And she taught the MBA program on communication. So as you were saying earlier, everything we're talking about is communication. And, you know, she was a great presenter because she would just sit there and tell stories uh, within a framework of the concepts she was talking about. So, A, she told me just like, you don't need to do PowerPoints for everything. But her stories were so <laughs> powerful. It was one of those things where, you know, it was that uh, light bulb, epiphany, what have you, of just like, I am an a-hole. Like, I'm a real, I could, I'm a like, I'm probably not a lot of fun to work with. And I'm probably, you know, big six foot four, you know, big guy. I probably intimidate the heck out of people. And with my tone on top of it, it's not a good place to work at with us because of, of me. And, and so I had to do a lot of change. I had to really step back and, and, you know, really reflect on myself, what I was trying to do, trying to understand, as you said, the triggers, uh, trying to understand where this behavior came from. One of the things, and I think this is a, a you know, as an aside note, I think in veterinary management, we don't really have the skill set. We're not taught it. We, we can develop the skill set for sure. What I learned about myself is a lot of my bad behavior was model behavior on a, how I have seen other people do the job. And mm -hmm. they were in positions of authority, and this is how they acted. So I thought, this is how everybody acts. Everybody's supposed to yell and scream and stomp their feet and what have you. And, and then I just realized that, no, I've just been modeling my behavior on bad managers. And so that was sort of one of those, oh, it's sort of like when you realize uh, as you hit a certain age that you're like, you're much more similar to your parents than you want to admit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So when you, when you get that, you're like, oh, that sounded just like one of my parents. Well, that, that's what I kind of realized about being a boss is I just was like, oh, I know where I get that from. So long story short to this article from Harvard Business Review, the author's name is Jennifer Porter. This woman's had a few articles on how leaders can get honest, productive feedback. And, I, you know, I'm going to, we'll put this in the show notes there, the podcast notes, because this is really, a, you know, if you're a leader or manager, I mean, here's basically your guidebook. And I think you talked about it. And I think one of the most important things is having this safe environment so people know they can go to you and give the feedback. Yeah. That is critical. And it's hard. I mean, it's really hard because it's hard because I think we have an assumption as leaders that we have to be the best and we have to model the best. And that's aspirational. And I think what really we need to do as leaders is model the best by saying, oh, I'm going to take feedback and I'm going to absorb it and I'm going to listen to people and I'm going to respond to it. That's what we should be doing as a feedback because we are all complex human beings and none of us are perfect. And so, of course, as leaders, there are things we can do to improve. So, you know, really um, acknowledging your weaknesses or mistakes during this discussion, just a great way to sh signal to other people that you're open, you're vulnerable, you'll take stuff in. We bring on new people. We're all saying it's an open office. It's an open mm -hmm. door policy. Uh, anybody is there for uh, feedback. And I think a lot of people are like, yeah, I've heard that before. Exactly. You know, yeah. yeah. I'm going to walk in the office, give feedback. some feedback. <laughs> yeah. I got my Get head, my head off. off. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. So you have to demonstrate it. You really do have to demonstrate it that when somebody gives you feedback, you feel like, yep, didn't know I was doing that. I'm so happy that you brought that to my attention. I've got to start working on it. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, sort of like I was saying earlier, asking questions, if it doesn't seem right, it's like, well, what can you give me an example? You know, we talk about when we do performance reviews, 
and staying away from those label statements or those absolute statements. And we're always like, you need to have examples. You need to have examples because the person, you know, you as leader might be like, I don't, this seems really off base, but can you tell me a little bit more? Can I get a little bit more data on this so I can understand it better? Well, Katie, funny you say that because that's the second point. And that oh, is geez. ask for feedback skillfully. Instead of saying, what feedback do you have for me? It's like, you know, how often do I really interrupt people? Or was the tone of my email as harsh as some people said it was? So very, mm -hmm. very specific. And Absolutely. Then, and then from that is also asking for recommendations in terms of what should I do, you know, um, to maybe rebuild the relationship with a coworker or what have you. Because mm -hmm. it's a trust thing, right? Like it's once it's it's hurt, it's very hard to get trust back. It could be yeah. gone in a blink and it can take years to rebuild. 100%. I thought what was really interesting is when we think of feedback, we're always thinking of negative feedback. Mm -hmm. But what they say as leaders is ask for positive feedback because it's really nice to know what you do well. And it's nice to know uh, from things that you can do well is there any kind of uh, an association with maybe some of the negative behavior that you can maybe build on the positive to minimize the negative? And it also helps, I just think, develop a culture that, you know, when we've talked to this before about a culture of appreciation. So if all we're doing is focusing on negative, you know, you just know that this is an organization where somebody says, I want to talk to you, or I want to tell you something, oh, it's going to be bad. Mm -hmm. But if you also have this culture where you're telling, hey, the way you handled that or that email was great or the way you ran that meeting or the way you've been uh, training this new technician that's working with us, you, you know, just love looking at your patients and how you demonstrate things and just taking that extra time to show uh, them the ropes. That was just wonderful. And, and I think then it's sort of this, we have this culture that we're, we're going to give feedback, good and bad, but it's all with the attitude of we're just going to make ourselves better. Mm -hmm. It's just information. Absolutely. Yeah, 100%. The next one, which I think is probably maybe one of the hardest ones in our always on day is when receiving feedback, give our full attention and listen carefully, i.e. turn off your phones, close the laptop mm -hmm. and just listen and focus on them. There is nothing more frustrating. And I know we've had this when we're dealing with practice owners and we're trying to talk about a situation and it's not necessarily feedback, but just talk about something that's important to the practice and they're picking up the phone or, you know, you just know like you're, you're not there. I'm getting 30% of you. And yeah. this is, this is your business. This, you should have a hundred percent on this. So mm -hmm. I, I know one of the comments I used to get in reviews was they could tell that I wasn't focused because I'd mm -hmm. be looking at my laptop and mm -hmm. or my phone and, and i've really made a conscious decision then and it's but it's, and it's like the laptop is closed the phone is away it's not on me i'm just going to focus on you mm -hmm. it's been a bit more of a challenge this past year just because uh the situation of having to work remotely it's easier to cheat on that so yeah. I, i've sort of worked on some you know like literally when we're having like this podcast or i've been doing a lot of zoom reviews everything else is turned off like the mm -hmm. only app I have open is Zoom. Yeah, close all the tabs. Everything just take just, your Apple Watch off. <laughs> yeah, just it's just you know it's we we are just always on and it's just so anyway that's another subject altogether. Mm -hmm. The other great point they make is don't debate or defend, don't justify why you're doing something. 
again, you're just, you, you don't want to have that reputation of yes, but it's more like, thank you. I need to process this. This is valuable information. Don't defend. What defense do you have for being short with a person or what have you? So. Well, it goes back to that idea of that um, switchback. You know, it's moving the focus from you and the feedback yeah, you're getting to yeah. the other person or making the excuses. Yep, yep. And then I think it's, you know, that we were talking before about emotional intelligence is own your reactions. You're going to hear things and you're going to get upset. You're going to have a reaction. But mm-hmm. try to understand why you get that reaction. What was that trigger? Why did all of a sudden you just get red in the face? Why did you lose patience all of a sudden? And I think this is where the hard work really starts to begin is within ourselves. And they're like, wow, they just said this. And I, I, I hulked out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, really, I just changed. Uh, I didn't demonstrate it, but I just internally, I was just, I was in turmoil. That's where the, the, the goal is of finding out, like, where is that coming from? And I think that's where they also tie in about just reflecting and evaluating on what you have heard is, you know, is also your emotions or your reactions to things. Mm-hmm. So, and I think the last thing is really is get the recommendations, make a plan, share the updates with the plan, share the updates with the people. And so, you know, one of the things we, we often tell people is, you know, if there's a behavior that needs to be changed and, and they're blind to it is to, you know, to go to the people they work closely with and just say, I just had this review. This is what's come up. I had no idea was doing this. I don't want to do this. I need you to help me. And by doing so, like, can you just tell me when I do it? And not the next day or the next week, like in the, within the, the past half hour, like, you know, it's hard yeah. when there's a client there, for example. But when we get a moment together, just please tell me, I promise you, I'm just going to accept it. I need to get better on this. And those who really commit to that and spend the time on reflecting on it do phenomenally well quickly. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think that's the difference between the person who, like I talked about, the person who it's window dressing and it's like, well, I'm going to change my behavior versus I'm going to change, you know, how I, f- what I believe or how I feel about this, Yeah, you know, and doing that deeper work. But I just think as, as the leader of the practice, you're going to be the one that's then demonstrating to everybody else. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then you're showing that just because I'm the boss doesn't mean I can do things my own way. And, yes. and, and I know some people get into practice ownership because that's, they're like, ah, it's not even the money they're going to make because um, they learn very quickly that <laughs> that's not where, what they yeah. thought it was going to be. Yeah. But it's like, you know, I'm my own boss. I can do things my own way now. And it's like, nope, unless you're working by yourself, you've got to, yes. the most critical thing you can do as a boss is model the behavior you want from everybody else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then don't be surprised when you model poor behavior and you get poor behavior back. Yeah, exactly. You, know, you can't sure. hold everybody else to a different standard for sure. hundred percent, hundred percent. So yeah, you know, it's funny. We're talking about giving feedback and that's hard. Receiving feedback is, that's probably the hardest thing. Mm-hmm. And I think that's probably, you know, since I've learned that in terms of being, a, you know, a leader in an organization or a colleague, is I view giving feedback as a nice thing that you're doing for another person. Because mm-hmm. generally, unless they're psychopaths, uh, most people don't want to be jerks. Most people don't want to upset other people. And when they find out that they are, they want to change that. Uh, and so I, th- I really yeah. think it's, it's something of, of value that you're giving to other people. But I also know 
how hard it is for them to sometimes accept it because we do, as you said at the very beginning, we, we do have our own narrative of who we are as a person. And when somebody says it's different, it's, it's, it's hard to handle. For sure. But so worth it. For sure. Good talk. Yeah. So do you have any wins or fails? Oh, do I ever? Okay. So my fail coming from the Canadian forces. So basically the Canadian military, uh, what has happened is in the last uh, number of months, I mean, the whispers have been happening for years, but there have been major allegations of um, sexual misconduct within the Canadian military. And recently it's come to light that some two of the senior male leaders of the military have had an active role in suppressing mitigation measures. You know, I think it was a couple of years ago, the military, you know, had this big campaign about we're inclusive and this all isn't uh, acceptable. And then as it turns out, two of the, the people who are supposed to be leading this charge have been failing miserably or going directly against that. So it came to a head for um, a female, I think the, one of the highest ranking female officers in the Canadian military, Lieutenant Colonel Eleanor Taylor, who had rounds in Afghanistan, led major offensive attacks, et cetera, et cetera. She said, I've just had enough. I can't be part of this organization anymore. So she uh, resigned. And, you know, she said she is disgusted by ongoing reports of sexual misconduct in the armed forces and dismayed that it has taken this long for the problem to come to the fore. So that's sad. I mean, it goes to show you how baked in gender inequality and misogyny and just the attitude towards sexual harassment is in uh, our institutions. And Mm. it's just, it's not nice. I was reading about that yesterday. And and, um, what really annoyed me was, you know, because she was this rising star and then she quit. And all these other leaders were like, whoa, I didn't realize it was like, whoa, for her to quit, it must be really bad. Yeah. Well, we need to talk to her and figure out what we can do better. And I was like, it's, they've been saying it forever. Like, yeah, I yeah. thought that was pretty lame, really lame responses to it. So. Definitely. So my win, uh, and I think this is probably a watershed moment for the gig economy, uh, but Uber recently in the UK ha- has given 70,000 UK Uber drivers benefits. Yay. So uh, yeah, they haven't quite got to Uber Eats yet, but the actual Uber drivers are going to have holiday pay and a pension scheme and entitlement to at least be paid the minimum national living wage, which I think is amazing. Uh, You know, you think of gig economy and you think, yeah, I mean, if you have 20 hours a day to drive an Uber, then, you know, maybe you're making a living, but otherwise it's really precarious type employment. So uh, I think this is really interesting and I'm, I'm really interested to see what will happen with the other gig economy companies uh see if they'll follow suit or not yeah i'm not counting on it i mean any any business model that is dependent on minimizing the salary you pay people for success is Mm -hmm. is is not a solid foundation so Mm -hmm. so my uh win and fail my fail is on a similar vein to yours, there's a new study that just came out from a Cornell College of Veterinary Medicine uh, on wage disparity between female and male veterinarians. This is just in the United States. Uh, so one of the authors, Dr. Clinton Neal from Cornell, said that basically, you know, at the top quarter of earners between male and female, that female veterinarians make about $100,000 less a year. And what was kind of shocking is this is also 
uh, female veterinarians that are practice owners. Um, wow. And so there's a lot to dig out of this. And I just, you know, as I, as I was looking at it and it's in the current issue of the Journal of American Veterinary Medical Association. And I just did a little PubMed research of similar articles next to it. I mean, these are articles going back to 1980, 2010, different countries with the same um, subject that women are getting paid less. And so let's, you know, the earliest I can found was 1980. So this is like a 41 year problem and nothing's really been done about it. Mm -hmm. So that was my big fail. And my big win, uh, vaccines. Yay, we're getting mm -hmm. them. My mom's going to get hers next week. I know I've been talking. I did a uh, recorded a podcast with a bunch of American veterinarians and different uh, setup there. Americans are really, really kicking it. But I thought generally they were. But I, I learned last night is by state depends mm -hmm. on the depends on the governor. But uh, yeah, seeing vets even vets younger than me that are fully vaccinated was just wonderful. So the light at the end of the tunnel is is growing bigger. So that was my win. Yay for Great. science science the yes, best it is that was wonderful katie thank you good one thanks and, mike uh, we'll be back in two weeks for another if anybody has any ideas or any um subject you'd like us to discuss explore you can reach out to us at info at oculusinsights.net and we'll see you in two weeks have a great day everybody right Thank you for listening to Hire the Smile, brought to you by Oculus Insights. Our goal at Oculus is to support veterinary businesses around the world by helping you clear your path to success. This episode was produced and edited by Heather McPherson. Special thanks to Alyssa Rubenstein for doing the amazing marketing that she does for Oculus. You can see what we are up to by checking us out on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn, and our website, oculusinsights.net. If you think you could use a business advisor or performance coach, go to advicebyoculus.com. See you next time.